All right, welcome to the Drop Zone. It is a fine Monday morning in the golf.com offices. Sean Zock is still on vacation out west skiing. So he's a little late to the party. Instead, I've got Luke Curtinine and Josh Burhow, two guys filling in for one spot. Guys, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having us, Dylan. <laughs> no, hey, Josh. No right. problem. We're uh, commandeering this pirate ship. I'm just now. finishing breakfast. Sorry. I know. Who knows what Sean's going to return to. Uh, it was a big weekend in the golf world. This got really good. Saturday, it really started to form into, okay, this is a pretty good golf tournament. Um, the WGC Mexico had three of the world's top four in the final two groups, plus Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed. And that's who it ended up coming down to. It turned into a two-man duel, but I mean, guys, what did you think was going to happen going into Sunday and then what actually happened? It was nice to see John Rahm in the mix. You know, I'm sure we'll get into John Rahm later, but I think, um, you know, I I sort of had a sneaking suspicion that John Rahm might just continue this crazy hot streak that he was riding off of uh, Saturday and just ride up the leaderboard. But ultimately, it was so perfect that it came down to Bryson and Patrick Reed, the two players who I think most golf fans wouldn't want to see win. I think slightly unfairly so on Bryson's front. I really thought he was going to get it done, but a few squirrely shots there towards the end handed it to Patrick. Josh, you were our Sunday go-to guy on golf.com. What were you kind of looking forward to when you sat down with maybe a cup of coffee sitting in for the uh, afternoon shift yesterday? I mean, I try to, uh, I'll watch the big tournaments on Saturdays, you know, but I kind of try to check out a little bit, you know, have a little family time and then, you know, swoop in on Sunday, but uh, you're always kind of looking at leaderboards ahead and, you know, you see who that leaderboard is on Sunday and it's so, so good. And you kind of look at it and you're wondering, okay, Rory, Rom here. And then you do see Bryson and you see Reed and you're like, wow, could this really happen? And of course, I mean, that's what we get down the stretch. And are there two more interesting characters right now in golf that could have been, I mean, if you name two guys right now who are more in the, just the limelight, who else do you throw in there? Maybe, maybe Brooks. I mean, Tiger, obviously you always throw in Tiger, but yeah, well, and the way it played out was really interesting because obviously Justin Thomas was the man with the lead and he just sort of let that thing go, which brought everyone else back into it. We were thinking Rory or John Rahm would be the most likely guys to make a run because they have such high-powered games, but then it turned into Bryson DeChambeau birdied, what, six out of seven holes at one point during the round. It looked like Patrick Reed was going to fall out of contention a couple times. He made long par putts on 11 13 and then birdied 15 16 and 17 while bryson missed a short one on 16 three putted 17 anyway were you excited for reed versus bryson as a golf fan i don't know how you cannot be excited for that i mean so so many of these guys just they're so robotic at times and now we have these personalities and you know love them or hate them that's what makes sports great is when you have these different kind of characters and you have them all competing for this one goal a lot of things that they both do can rub people the wrong way someone tweeted at me like oh i'm not i'm not watching on sunday after that reed costas thing that happened like mm-hmm. i don't want anything to do with him well like that's just sports like you need to have a rooting interest and that's I'm what watching makes these more so on sunday because of that yeah exactly like if you have all these bland characters for like competing down the stretch like come on like i want some i want some storylines here i want a little bit of drama and those guys definitely have all of that going on right now. Luke, I have a question for you. Is the derision of Patrick Reed fair and of Bryson fair? I think with Patrick Reed, it's certainly more fair for a bunch of reasons, right, that we don't need to relitigate right now. But, um, you know, I can understand that Patrick Reed has a bunch of ill will. With Bryson, I honestly don't fully understand it. Um, and that's why I was really rooting for him to get it done 
yesterday because, you know, people, I think, just dog on Bryson because he's a bit different. And he is. And he'll freely admit it. But something I wrote in Tall Confidential is that often overlooked in all this is that Bryson's like different methods. There's always a there's always like a lot of thought put into it, right? There's always a method behind the madness. And they almost always work too. I mean, the guy changed his swing, adopted a set of single length clubs, won the USM, won the NCAAs, got on tour, and then he decided his putting wasn't really working for him. So he uh, adopted this really unconventional arm locking style, which is not just unconventional because of the arm lock, but because of the actual way he situates his arms, which we're gonna have to get into. But then he immediately jumped into the top 30 in strokes game putting on the PGA Tour. He was lounging down in the 150s, I believe, at that point. And then, you know, this offseason, after you know, a good start, a, a good end, excuse me, to the previous season, he sort of has a slow season, comes into the offseason, says, you know what I need to do? I need to bulk up. I need to hit the ball further because I think that's what's going to make me better. And he, he does it, goes away, works insanely hard, comes back looking like a freaking bodybuilder, right? Sure, maybe he was afraid of Brooks Kepka's you know, impending showdown along the way, but uh, he decided he needed to do this for a game. And what he did, gets into contention and probably should have won yesterday. And, yeah. and I get that he rubs some people the wrong way, but I just think it's unfair uh, sometimes, like the the rap that he gets because he's different. When in fact, what I think we should be taking time to appreciate that, yes, he's different, but he is also a colorful voice to Joshua's point in the game that we want. And he's actually a smart guy who figures out a way to make himself play better golf, which is more than can be said for a whole lot of other PJ Tour players. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Bryson said afterwards, uh, you know, they asked why he went down to go congratulate Patrick on the 72nd green. You know, he had some really nice quotes about it, but he's like, we're really, we, I think we get a bad rap, Patrick and I, for different reasons sometimes. And, you know, it's almost like they kind of have that little, I don't know, they can bind together with that. But like, when you really think about it, at the dumbed down, these two are both two extremely interesting people, right? I mean, what they do, and you can say that for good reasons, for bad reasons, sometimes cringeworthy reasons, but at the very lowest level, they're two very interesting people. And Bryson's, you know, he's a very smart dude. I'm not saying Reed's dumb, but they both go about things a little differently and they're both fiercely competitive players. They're very similar. Yeah, they sound like they're going to be in a Ryder Cup pod together, aren't they? They Chip (laughs) on the shoulder pod, throw Brooks in there too. One thing that your comments made me think of, Luke, is a guy named Tom Brady, who I try to work into every podcast here at least once. But, you know, Brady gets a ton of shit for... You know, his arguably junk science, you know, the fact that tomatoes cause inflammation and drinking water can prevent concussions and all this stuff. But what gets lost in uh, the margins is, yeah, this is the only guy that's his age that's still playing football. You know, it is working, even though some of it is suspect. And even though Bryson doesn't necessarily explain, you know, like what terminal velocity is, even though he doesn't actually have a college degree. You can't say for Dustin Johnson. He does still seem to be doing stuff that's effective. He deserves some credit for that. And I think he mostly deserves credit for staying weird and embracing that when I think there's so much pressure on the PGA Tour to conform and not stand out at all. Yeah, I mean, I wholly agree with your point that Bryson DeChambeau is the Tom Brady of golf. Like, you're not going to... Of course. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> no, um, look, everybody's a little different, right? Like, it, it goes back to this sort of... A real cliche, but it's true. Everybody's a little different. Their bodies are a little different. They're going to 
swing the golf club a little differently. They're going to think and approach things differently. And really, the key to playing your best golf, whether you're on tour or whether you're just a recreational golfer trying to break 90, is about figuring out how you work. It really is, is what it comes down to. Tom Brady and Bryson DeChambeau figured out a way to get the best out of themselves on a very repeatable basis which you know there's a lot of people at the top of the official world golf rankings now like would you look at rory for instance and say rory knows how to get the best out of himself every single time i don't think rory would admit that you know it's it's really hard to do but i think that bryson is somebody who actually kind of does know how he is really tuned into how he works and how to sort of maximize what he's doing. From a viewer perspective, I am always obsessed with the idea that like when a player comes onto a screen, it's really good if we have a reaction to that player. And I think with Bryson and with Reed, a lot of the time it is this divisive thing of like, oh, I don't like that guy, you know, which makes them interesting. Josh, is there anyone else that like falls into that category with Reed and Bryson? When you talked about that post-round comment of, you know, they can really relate to each other on this different level. I don't really know if there is. I mean, if you want to just simply go with people who maybe rub people the wrong way mm-hmm. for better or for worse, I would maybe throw Brooks in there. Yeah. And that's just kind of in a different level than those two. That's a different group. Yeah. Uh, no. Sergio, I guess, I was thinking. Um, Sir, yeah, you could throw Sergio in there. It's funny. But Sergio hasn't been competing as well as these guys the right. last couple of years as well. You Pol- know? Polter, maybe. Polter among Americans. Luke's always sensitive to that. Yeah, I think <laughs> that uh, and one uh, one interesting question that uh, Reed was asked in his post-round press conference was, you know, who do you turn to on tour? Because there's, you know, this famous question from a few years ago where he's asked who his friends are on tour and he eventually cites Henrik Stenson. And they asked (laughs) Henrik about it and he's like, no, dude, we're not friends. This time he went first with Tiger Woods, which is a bold. uh, And then he said Bubba Watson, he talks to a lot. And then he did cite Bryson. Bryson from his end kind of said, look, we're coworkers, but still said they had some stuff in common. But I did think that that was an interesting connection with Bubba because, you know, he can be a divisive guy too. It makes sense. uh, That's the first thing I thought of too when that question came up. I'm like, oh, I remember that Stenson answer. But, you know, he's going to mention Tiger because Tiger's not going to, you know, rebuff it like Stenson did a few years ago either. So smart play by Reed. Yeah, and I think, you know, ultimately there are, two types of players in golf i mean there are probably lots more but to me to my mind there are people generally fall into two different camps there's the guys who like to go mano y mano against others you know the alpha dog types they play their best when they're staring somebody else in the eye i think rory falls into this camp and patrick reed certainly falls into this camp and then there are like guys who are just process guys they don't want to look somebody in the eye they want to look that the next step in front of them. Like Jordan Spieth is a classic one of these guys. I think Bryson is more like that too. Um, but I think Tiger Woods is more on the sort of Patrick E, Patrick Reed, Mano Imano end of the spectrum. So I bet Tiger, I mean, I can't speak to whatever friendship they may have, but I bet like Tiger can sort of empathize with some of the stuff Patrick Reed goes through in terms of Patrick Reed plays better when people are telling him no, when people hate him, when people want him to fail. And I think there's a bit of that in Tiger too. And I think that that's probably where that answer is coming from. One thing I noticed from Reed's press conference is I think he's learned from Tiger that any question you're asked that is somewhat controversial, just turn it back to golf always. It's like, oh, 
you know, this must have been an important win given like all that you've been going through. And Reed's just like, yeah, it was a good win. It's always good to win. Stuff like that. So he's definitely just, you know, keeping it to golf wherever he can. All right, Luke, you mentioned Rory. Any concerns about what you guys saw from Rory, John Rahm, or Justin Thomas uh, trying to track down the lead or in Thomas's case, hold the lead on Sunday? No, yeah, I think I think Rory is just. I mean, it's the same old story with Rory, and it's not a bad story, right? But the way Rory wins is that he hits these streaks, and then he wins everything. And then there are times when he's not quite in his groove that he likes to live in, and he's still really, really good because he's Rory McIlroy. But um, you can sort of very, you can very much tell when Rory is like feeling himself, and when Rory's like just a little off. And I think that's sort of what we saw over the weekend there with him. Uh, with John Rahm, one thing I was a little worried about, uh, which is that, you know, now we're talking, oh, what about John Rahm not being able to track down a lead, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't win as much as he should. Why is everyone giving John Rahm this hype? And I just think that's so unfair. I mean, the guy, like, made a hole-in-one and put together an incredible round. He shot 10 under on uh, Saturday. He shot 10 under. He was 19 under over 32 holes at one point, I, mean, I think. It's incredible. To, to me, like... It's easy to look on paper, and people will look at this tournament. People are like, ah, oh, another close call for Ram. Like, this shouldn't have been a close call for John Ram. He played incredibly to get into contention. Um, he sort of, it was like a backdoor top five or whatever he ended up finishing. And I think that guys like that, Tony Fennell is another guy like that, who they sort of get punished a little bit because they figure out ways to sort of get themselves up top of the leaderboard that people then say oh well you know he's got all these top fives all these top tens but he doesn't win and it's in reality if you look at the context of his tournament john ron there's nothing to worry about with john ron john ron everything right now he's world number two he jumped over Brooks Kepka, so now Rory and Rom are one and two in the world. And he's going to win the Masters, so it's going to be great. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, there's there's no reason to be concerned about either of those three, you guys, you mentioned. I mean, Justin Thomas entering yesterday, didn't he have the best 54-hole conversion rate except for Tiger Woods, Brandon yeah, Grace, like, right? What, eight so, for 11 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so you're not going to do it every time. You just That's just not going to happen anymore these days. So um, he didn't play his best, but that's not bothering me one bit. You have all three of those guys have been playing so well. Like, they're all just kind of simmering. I mean, Rory's five starts this year. He hasn't finished worse than a tie for fifth. That's nuts. Like, he's too good. Yeah, to it not is crazy. Just, we know how Rory's tricky, you know. So I wouldn't be surprised if he wins three times this summer. You know, he can knock off two in a row just like that. So Listen to Rory's uh, PGA Tour starts since the Tour Championship. So he wins the Tour Championship. Since then, T3 at Zozo wins HSBC Champions. Fourth in uh, Dubai. Oh, I guess that's European tour. T3 at the Farmers, T5 at the Genesis, and now fifth at WGC Mexico, which felt disappointing, but ultimately it's just Rory racking up another top five. All right, I want to talk about the golf course briefly because I have kind of a theory that this looks like one potential future for PGA Tour golf. You know, there's been a raging distance debate. Does the ball go too far? Are the courses too short? And here we go to Mexico to play a 7,200-yard golf course where the ball is flying, what, 15% farther in the air. So what you see is guys are flying at 350. There was the second hole on Saturday, Bryson and Eric Van Royen. Apologies to Eric. We have not mentioned you until now. First, Bryson hits it to, I think, 6 feet. Van Royen hits it to 10 feet from 380 yards. This was like a you know, the dystopian future of golf here, it felt like. But the key to this course is that it's super tight. 
So there's trees everywhere. There's awkward lies in the trees. I've never seen so many, you know, punch outs towards the green guys chipping out sideways. We saw JT hit one lefty. Um, do you like this golf course? And I guess like, do you like the style of play that it encourages? Because it's very anti this, you know, open fairway, firm, fast with angles thing. This is totally different from that, but it is entertaining. I like it. You obviously need variety on tour. And I think sometimes we get to the same course, same cookie cutter course over, over and over and over. So to see guys play a place like this and they're hitting iron off the first tee on a par four and like reaching the green and stuff. Yeah, it's, I don't want that every week, but like give it to me this week. I mean, Bryson, he drew, was it? He drove the green and then three putted for par. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. For, Number one on, on Sunday. Sunday. So, yeah, no, um, I, Maybe I'm not woke enough, but I actually quite like Target <laughs> Certainly golf. Certainly true. <laughs> yeah, I actually quite like watching Target golf. I don't like playing it. You know, give me all the width and angles. But, um, you know, I'm not as architecturally astute watching golf. I can't fully appreciate the idea of, like, width and angles on TV, I think, like most golf fans. Um, I like forcing guys to execute. And I sort of think that that's the way you test them nowadays. I quite enjoyed, like, Le Golf National. And I wasn't on the ground there, but watching from the US and seeing water everywhere and then seeing guys get really nervous and, like, you know, I, I love seeing guys, for instance, like, going to the 18th tee at Sawgrass and seeing water all down the left and blowing it right and knowing exactly why they blew it right because they're really nervous. Um, I think that that is the way you neuter distance in some of these guys, right? You force them to hit it into a spot. And if you don't, you penalize them. These are the best players in the world. I don't think uh, there should be anything wrong with saying target golf is okay for these guys. Like uh, we're asking them to do a very specific thing well. One interesting, I guess, more woke piece of this golf course is there's not a lot of crazy long rough. That's not really the defense. And it is cool that uh, when they hit it out of position, there were ways to get it back you know you saw guys trying to hit hooks around trees and that's pretty fun it does like lean on some more shot making uh someone was saying you know on i guess this was just a random twitter person was saying let's just get rid of fairways let's just put more trees out there short grass everywhere and so i mean i think it's that's probably a a bridge too far but it's ideas like that that introduce chaos into the pga tour which is fun because you see these birdie swings and bogey swings out here that you don't see many other places. I mean, I have to look at like the bogey average there, but it seems like it's higher than your typical tour course. And the birdie average certainly must be higher. You have, you know, John Rahm made whatever, like 10 birdies on Saturday. I mean, it it comes down to testing these guys, giving them options, making them think. And you just have to find a formula to do that every week, you know, well. Yeah. And like, I mean, somebody will probably be able to explain this to me at some point. Um, But Width and angles is great when you can actually do it, you know, Um, when you have a course that's big enough to actually force you to do it. But it's really hard to get to that point. And what seems to happen more from the not is that a width and angles golf course just turns into a really wide open golf course where guys can just destroy drivers as hard as they yeah. can. Um, and then you're watching driver wedge and everyone says, oh, well, you know, look, look at how far the ball's gone. Yeah, I think that that is... Um... Well, it's a debate that we'll pick up another time. Uh, We're reaching the end of the West Coast swing. We're moving to Florida. Uh, What is one thing that you guys learned from this West Coast swing? We had some winners out. I mean, Adam Scott won. We did have some winners that maybe weren't household names. But like I just said a little bit ago, a lot of these guys are simmering. There's a lot of big names playing really well right now. And 
everything, you know, we always talk this point, everything's leading up to the Masters right now. So you have a lot of guys getting hot, and it'll just be interesting to see who actually can then win a couple and use that momentum and do Augusta. True. A couple former Masters champs starting to round into yeah. form. Reed, Scott, Luke, what do you got? Yeah, I think it's a good point about there's a, there is, seem to be a lot of guys simmering right now. Um, a lot of onions in that pot. But uh, I do think that... Um, Send up well, some sort of British expression. <laughs> yeah, that sounds kind of gross. <laughs> but what I also see is uh, the resurgence of a bunch of guys too. Um, guys who sort of dropped off the planet a little bit. Uh, Adam Scott obviously getting a win again. Hideki Matsuyama suddenly looks like back to yeah. maybe, maybe his best. Um, Patrick Reed was going through a real tough spell. If you you know remember how bad he was at the 2018 Ryder Cup, but he's just won again. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau was not as impressive as he usually is last season and he's back now. So um, I think that that's an interesting thing that I'm keeping my own eye on um, because there's a few of them now. This one ties into looking ahead to the Florida swing, but I guess one thing I feel like we learned is Tiger Woods is feeling old. He maybe is even feeling older than he actually is. I don't know. Some days he still looks like he could be arguably the best golfer in the world. And then some days are like Saturday and Sunday at Riv where uh, the guy had plenty of time off. He had a whole week off to rest, but just looked worn out, finished last place of people that made the cut. Skipped this week, and it's going to be really interesting to see just how much he does play, whether we see him at Bay Hill. Um, I'm sure we'll see him at the Players, whether we see him at Austin or not. And then, of course, gearing up for his title defense at the Masters. What are you guys looking forward to in the Florida swing, Josh? I mean, it's Tiger, and it's without question Tiger. It's just kind of like you covered at the Genesis. He just he didn't look right, but I mean, everyone kind of, that was the debate we had, which was, is he injured? Is he just feeling it? Um, is he just not really playing his best? And did he have a couple bad days? And at that point, well, he's just going to kind of coast. You know, he's the ultimate grinder. So if he's not in it, is he really going to grind when he's going to, you know, try to get 45th place? Like, I don't know. But yeah, what's his schedule? Where is he going to play? And what's his form going to be like heading into Augusta? Does he play the match play? If he actually plays well at the match play, that's a lot of rounds under your belt before the Masters too. So there's all these little mini storylines around Tiger, but... To me, it's just all about what are we going to see from him in the uh, lead up to Augusta. Yeah, to me, the uh, Florida swing, which I love, is really just a big scouting pre-Masters session for me. You know, I I, I want to. We've seen, you know, we've got some inklings of it out west, but now they come into the southeast. You know, they. I want to get an up close look at them. Uh, well, you know, not not closer than not usual, too close, not not too close, but <laughs> close enough. But I'm really just starting to get into Masters mode. Who's going to play well at Augusta? That's all I think about for right or wrong with the Florida swing, um, and that's it. You know, I'm putting the feelers out. I will say I'm excited for the Players Championship, major though it is not. Uh, they've <laughs> upped it to fifteen million dollar purse this year. Yeah, you know the winner gets two point seven million. And Insane. You, you know, sometimes they have, I don't know how much the majors look at what the PJ Tour does for the players, probably not much, but it does have probably a little influence on maybe what they're thinking when they up the purses every year. But 15 is a big jump. It makes you wonder what the Masters will go to this year too. Just a special shout out, even if the players isn't, we're going to say the fifth major, but you know, players is just getting bigger than ever. We've got the Ryder Cup this year. We've got the Olympics this year. It's a big old year for big tournaments. This year. It does feel like we're kind of just gearing into it. And these last few weeks have been a nice appetizer. You know, the Farmers was fun. Uh, for sure, Genesis was a great tournament. This one, I think I had kind of low expectations because the storyline going into it was more like the guys that are skipping it. It's like, oh, these WGCs don't really work. 
you know, maybe it's time for the the end of the WGC. I thought this was a fun week. You had a bunch of top, top guys in contention playing a funky golf course, hitting the ball all over the place, uh, you know, chaos on the leaderboard on Sunday. It's basically all you can ask for. And with that, let's wrap up this week's Drop Zone. Josh, Luke, thank you for joining me to break the action down. Uh, we've got the Honda Classic ahead. We've got all kinds of good golf in front of us. Plenty of coverage on golf.com. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. 